All right. We're live. Awesome. All right, everybody. This is a new podcast series that I'm doing. It's going to be called Hear You Out. And from audience members to different interesting people, I wanted to have a discussion, not an argument, not anything like that. I wanted to hear what people had to say. I wanted to be taught. I wanted people to bring their perspectives to me. I wanted to learn something new. My first guest is Pastor Marlon Mitchell from Tabernacle of Praise. My name is Devereaux Mitchell, and we're going to have a discussion today about the black church. Pastor Marlon, how are you doing today? Doing very well, my friend. Doing very well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So, from my perspective, I think, when I hear the term black church, I see it almost as a... I say controversial. We had a little bit of a conversation before going on air about it, and you didn't see it as controversial. You didn't see it as any different than the white church. A lot of people that I speak to, when they see the when they hear the black church, they see almost like a like a comedy skit of the women running around the church dancing, the pastor who's stealing money and drives Rolls Royce, or some sort of um. What do they call those churches where, like, the, the big preachers go to, the mega churches? Mm-hmm. They see something like that as being the, the staple of the black church, but nothing that's going to put into the community and help build it up. What are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, to ease everyone's thoughts or minds, I'm going to kind of go off what you had initially said and kind of justify my point. One. I drive a 1998 Dodge Caravan with Russell, so okay. Rolls Royce is not there. <laughs> the two, we don't have a, a mega church structure with 30,000 people. We're a, a small church. We love the Lord, and, and we just continue to uh, love on each other and try to do our best, absolute best, to serve the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and three, uh, we don't have too much dancing in the aisles. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we are emphasizing... Uh, a worship, we're emphasizing prayer, and we're emphasizing teaching, right? Mm-hmm. And so we want people to be able to uh, um, hear the Word of God and apply the Word of God. Okay. Um, again, we're not against celebrating. We're not against dancing. We're not against rejoicing. But the emphasis is um, the emphasis is the worship, word, and prayer, and then uh, and then going out and ministering to others. And then when the success of those things come, then we do the dancing and we can see the dance. So just to clarify and just to kind of lay a perspective out there um, as a black church. But I do understand um, that a lot of people have that thought. And the thought really comes from uh, the arts. So the, 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 the comedy shows, the skit shows and, those various things, right? That is the assumption where it comes from, where, you know, that's all we do, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we show off with the clothes, but it's, and it's sad because it paints us in the light for those who come into the church are assuming that they're going to get an entertainment factor. Mm-hmm. And those that are outside the church are assuming that it is nothing but entertainment, mm-hmm. right? When you go off of that premise, so it lends the black church to a very, um, or it lends the church 
to a very difficult spot because um, they themselves are trying to galvanize or trying to figure out what they're putting. They know it's in Christ, um, but there's a bombardment, and I think this is just one bombardment of the enemy towards the church in general, mm-hmm. where this is how people perceive us, this is how we may even perceive ourselves, and it's just absolutely problematic. So, 100% problematic. So when you say enemy, what, what, what does that mean? So in other words, let's, let's ask this question right now. So the enemy of our soul, the enemy of our soul is, uh, let's call it the devil, Satan. Okay. And Satan, the devil, number one premise is to disrupt or to keep individuals um, all walks of life, right? No, nothing. All walks of life. Keep individuals away from the truth of God, the love of God, and the understanding of God. Mm-hmm. Right? So he does that by sending various things, several different things, the way to keep individuals off. So he attacks this person, he leads this person to mess up, he promotes this, and then he also puts forward these incorrect, and it's always been like this, incorrect ideology. Mm-hmm. Right? And so with all of those darts, this idea of all all they do is skip, all they do is steal money, all they do is drive big cars, all they do is not give back to the community, is an ideological, societal ideological thought that is a dart, because that's not the case, right? So it it is one of the many things uh, that believers have to deal with, right? Mm-hmm. If I say to you, what church you go to, and you go to this church, it to, to, you go to this church and you're out in the community, it automatically sends a trigger to a lot of people, which either say, listen to you, or don't listen to you. Mm-hmm. has nothing to do with that you're right or wrong, it's just the perception. Mm-hmm. Right? How much Medea families, how much Medea movies have you watched? Me personally? You personally. Zero. <laughs> Okay, fine. Not, <laughs> that's not the case with many people out there, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. And, and, and they paint a picture of how they paint the picture. Right. So, it, it, it's, it's interesting, right? So, but it's one of the darts that is out there and causes a problem for the black churches. And then the white churches have the flip side about it, where it's just like, they're dull. Mm. You know, were you trying to watch? I, I heard you were trying to watch Blackish, the show Blackish. You've heard of the show Blackish? I've right? heard of it. Yeah. You, how much have you? How many episodes have you watched of it? Maybe one or two. Okay. Well, on it on that show Blackish, they do a lot of things. But one of the things I remember one episode where they were having the conversation about church, right? Yeah. And they do the difference between the black church and the white. Church. Yeah. <laughs> and so. With the comparison, that that really speaks to culture, and it speaks to, and it paints this picture. No one wants to go to a black church. The white folks don't want to go to a black church because the church is going to last six hours. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you go to the white church, you go in for eleven, you come out at twelve, maybe even eleven fifty-five. Right. Right, and so it just paints the picture between both churches as we're all about. X and Y rather than about what we are about, which is Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. What what right? what denomination like is your church and what would what would you say what denomination is majority of black churches and and why that de- particular denomination? Well, it's ironic, but Pentecostal. Okay. So we're, we're, a lot of us are Pentecostal in terms of our stance. We have different uh, organizations or governing organizations that um, will govern us, but still take that Pentecostal flavor. Mm-hmm. So simply meaning, um, so simply meaning, we, you'll have Church of God, Church of God Prophet. Well, they're all Pentecostal, but they're just different organizations. It's mm-hmm. Independent Pentecostal based whole gospel, all of those ones, right? So why I believe black churches are Pentecostal is it's probably twofold. One, scripturally, uh, we hold to this idea, we hold to the idea that the Spirit of God, who is God, God's Spirit, must have free reign among us when we gather. Mm -hmm. So simply meaning, if if we're in the middle of a service and the Spirit moves, touches one individual to either cry out, to shout, to stand up, to rejoice, uh, to break down, we advocate for that. Spirit of God move on their life. And the whole church will rally around and participate, seek to participate in the move of God in our midst. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's why when you get to certain places, and I, and I think that's highly emphasized within the black community, so you'll end up with a place where, say you have a congregation or a gathering of people of 500 people. And in the midst of 500 people, we can assume that 20% are going through hell, right? In the black community. 20%, let's say even 20 people are going through hell out of 500. Mm-hmm. That when that person gathers and God meets with that person in the midst of the 500 and begins to work a work and that person cries out, or that person is broken, or that person falls down, or all of those things, the rest 480 people are not just spectators of it, but they now aim to be participants into what God wants to do. And saying, God, if you're touching them, touch me too. Mm-hmm. Right? And so Blacks, so the Pentecostal movement allows and advocates for that move to happen. And that's why Blacks who are extremely communal people, and I reemphasize that statement, we are extremely communal people. We love community. Yeah. Whatever form of community is, we want to be a part of it, right? Yeah. Blacks who are very communal, simply meaning we'll share the food with you, we'll talk with you, we'll laugh with you, we'll even fight with you, each other, right? Yeah. All of that is overemphasizing, encouraged within the Pentecostal movement. Mm. Right down to the core of who we are, right? Freedom of the Spirit, touch one person, we will participate 100% in making sure you celebrate and if you get delivered, we rejoice over that. Mm. So that's the foundation, right? Yeah. So you walk into an authentic, a black a congregation with a lot of black individuals and somebody, let's call it who's a prostitute or a pig, yeah. gets saved. What do you think is going to happen? We're dancing. Mm. Right? Because you just turned from bad to good. We're 
Mm-hmm. Like, let's say somebody, like Mama, Mama Nice, let's call her, just make up a name, Mama Nice, right? Yeah. Mama Nice, who, who was suffering for so long, is healed. Mm-hmm. We're skipping in the aisles. And it's not just one or two of us, it's all of us. Mm-hmm. Right? Because the scripture says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Mm-hmm. And in Pentecostal churches, we take it seriously. And in black culture, it's serious. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's why I think we gravitate. Where if you go to a place like a Presbyterian, Anglican, or um, Catholic, they're highly liturgical. So simply meaning they're following the script more than anything else. Mm-hmm. So if somebody gets delivered, the script is we say six words and continue on and we can meet in the parking lot. No, 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 that's not us. <laughs> you know? We don't disrespect it, but that's not us. Yeah. That's why even if you go into Africa, Caribbean, or any of those heavy black cultures and you run up into those Presbyterian Anglicans, they seem very much like Pentecost. Mm. Right? That's that's the difference. That's one of the high differences. We're communal people. Okay. So I guess the other thing is being you guys have Christianity has different denominations. And I think for a lot of people it's it's a little confusing because if you're reading the same Bible, why mm-hmm. would there be a different way to 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 go to church to worship God, etc.? Why isn't it just one set? Because a lot of the things you're saying is like, this is scriptural, and this is why we do it. So if it's in the scripture, why isn't everyone following that same blueprint? Why is there a carved out section where you guys are following a particular way, and then somebody else is doing something different? If if it's all in the same book, why not just keep it the same, and everybody should be following the same thing? So why... Why even have different denominations? Shouldn't everyone just be a Pentecostal? Well, put it like this. Um, I think that goes back to the question of black church. Why is there even a black church, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's a legitimate question, but let's, let's look at it. Do they have, do we have in North America, especially America, um, black only, not black only colleges, but historically black colleges. Yeah. The answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Do we have um, things that pertain only to one particular culture? Yes or no? The answer is yes. But the reason for that, if we even take up um, the, the black, historically black universities, well, education is still education, but there are, there became because of racism, because of culture, because of style, Variations where people like to gather together and people exclude other people who are not like them. You know, one of the things I remember speaking to my congregation, and I, I know this will be very controversial for people, right? I, I, I remember saying to them, like, you can still be a school of love Jesus and work for God, even though you're a school, right? Mm-hmm. Even though God is still working through you. So in other words, and this is a controversial part, you could still be racist and still be trying to serve God. It doesn't mean at the end when God works on you, he won't address the racism in your heart. 
but you can still be racist and still God be working on you. Right? Nobody likes to hear that because our assumption is when we come to Christ, we're perfect. We have everything worked out. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that, that's not how God works, one. But within that section, there now becomes this massive issue with here is this racist Christian, somebody who still prays to God and accepts Christ as Lord and Savior, but still acting racist, he is going to separate himself from others who don't look like him, right? Mm -hmm. That's why when you get to heaven, one of the things God does is he reveals to you the brotherhood of the faith, which includes everybody, right? So down here on earth, while we're working that out, the white KKK guy comes into an experience with Jesus He's saved, but he still has all these horrible patterns. He doesn't immediately go to the black church. He goes to the white one. That looks like him. And he encourages that. He builds that up, right? That becomes its denomination. His culture comes into it. His ideas come into it. His liturgy comes into it. His style comes into it. Because he's still being redeemed, mm-hmm. right? So his unredeemed self comes with a lot of baggage that God has put down. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, because you already have it, you now have the nomination. Mm-hmm. Both of us can see the importance of the Spirit, but we're not dancing. So, we don't want to have nothing to do with that. You're talking about <laughs> right? We, we want to we have freedom of the Spirit, right? Oh, those people don't have order. No, that's not it, right? Right? So, the nuances of our fallen nature end up presenting itself within our faith and therefore causing division, right? Let's even go all the way back in history. At one point, there was only one church, and it was called the Universal Church, which was the Catholic Church, right? Mm-hmm. But they were going crazy in how they were doing something, and simply put, Martin Luther walked out there, tagged a 95 thesis, or asked 95 questions, and it split the church in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then it just kept on going like that, right? Now you have Catholic, you have Roman Catholic. You have, and even before that, you had the, the, the Council of, um, you go all the way back into the Bible. Remember, the Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost to about 100 and how much people, right? Mm-hmm. So from there, it started to spread. But everybody still kept their little culture. So added certain things. That's why the apostles came and started to speak to certain things because everybody started to add in their little culture because they themselves were still being redeemed. And it caused division. Right? And so because of that division, now here, here's all the denominations. Still one book. But we start adding in things. So to be a Catholic, you have to be confirmed. Right? To be a Christian, you just have to accept Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. To be a black Christian, or to be a part of the black, you have to accept the black culture and the black celebration. If you bring liturgy in there, they'll take it once, but it's not going to fly. Yeah. Right? So that's where it comes from. Man adding in to what God has already done. And it takes God and wise ministers or wise individuals to constantly and repeatedly remove those barriers so that people can see themselves as all redeemed people 
and we're still on the journey. So there's there's also another thought that the black church has been used as a tool by slave masters in the days of slavery to almost indoctrinate the people. So Christianity was something that was given to the black race, and it's not something that has been with them throughout their existence on earth. So it stripped them away from their own religion, and then here you have this quote-unquote what they call the white man's religion and now you're subject to this white man's religion his god and etc etc so this is just a different form of slavery in in the eyes of certain people what would you say to that well i i would ask i would ask several questions to that um one i'll respect them i said okay that's your opinion the first question i'll ask is uh tell me what black religion is and tell me why you think Christianity is not a black religion coming from where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Right? Tell me why the oldest church is actually in Ethiopia. Right? <laughs> you know, we can go down the line. Like, how is this not a black man? Or how is this not a black person? Are we being influenced by pictures that a white man painted that says this is their God? And we accept it rather than reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'll go down that question in respect to ask all those individuals. But I want someone to tell me, aren't us as blacks, don't we believe in creation? The answer would be absolutely. Don't we believe in a God? Absolutely. Didn't we connect or interact with God and still want to? 100%. So then tell me who that God is mm-hmm. and tell me how he teaches us. What does he say to us? Right? And so someone will say, oh, we're going back to the religions of Africa. Mm-hmm. Okay? What are they? The worship of Isis? How do we, how does Isis even say to us, for us to worship her? I have never heard that. Mm-hmm. How, does, how does Isis or Seth or Ra even tell us about one, our existence as individuals on this earth, how do they inform us of how do we live? How do they teach us about how do we interact with each other? How do they help us govern our lives and our world that we're in? Mm-hmm. The answer is, I hear nothing. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to argue with you, but I'm like, what then was our religion? Because if we are these people, we seek these answers and these questions. Mm-hmm. Naturally, we're not wandering out in space aimlessly because that very thought goes back to the idea that we were lost in the jungle in Africa mm-hmm. until the white man came. Mm. But no, we weren't. We were asking these questions. Math, all of these things were coming out of what they informed us out of Africa. So, how did we get that? Why did we think logically about this stuff? And never logically about social issues. Mm-hmm. Never logically about anything. What informed us? Did we believe that it was a big bang? Or do we believe in a creator? Mm-hmm. And I can almost guarantee you, 99.9% of us will say, we believe in a creator. Yeah. Who is he? What does he do? How does he speak to us? Where does he guide us? How does he say for us to interact with and if we go back in history and look at how we connected, you realize that even in the midst of all that, 
we see Christ presenting himself, calling us. Mm-hmm. Jesus was, to tell everybody else who may be out there, was a Negro. He was not Caucasian. <laughs> like, let's get that straight. You know, Abraham came from East Africa. Like, eh, I can't say anything more than that, right? Mm-hmm. So, what are we talking about? And that's my question to all of these people. What are we talking about? So, a lot of people, I guess they would say, when they read the Bible, they don't see themselves in it. Now, there's some. And I will challenge them that. There's some I groups, would completely some, challenge that. There's some groups like the, the Hebrew Israelites who see themselves mm-hmm. intertwined in the book. You can't separate us, but it's almost like they only see us in the book and no one else. So it's almost in, in reverse of everything else. Um, Which, allow me to ask this question mm-hmm. or to kind of bring back a point to the Hebrew Israelites. My question would be to the Hebrew Israelites, one simple thing. If the Hebrew Israelites believe that it's them and it's only them that are the people of God, which is fine, I'm not going to argue that, is, is our God have any consideration for any other race? Does he want to only save us and not them? Mm. Right? Like, how does this interact? How do we interact with others? It is only about us? Does, does, does the, and again, if we hold to the Hebrew Israelite story, which again, I'm not arguing with them, but then that means we killed our Messiah. Right? We killed our Messiah. Mm-hmm. And therefore, judgment is on our people. So is what's happening right now to us in this society payback? And therefore, should we accept it? Right? So I'll ask those 15 questions, like, what do you do with the other people if they're another God? And what do you do with the penalty that now comes down? Is it justifiable? Mm. Right? And so you, you end up in a conundrum, just tell me who your God is. Right. Because if your God is just a black man, okay, does he care for anybody else? Or is it just that he only created black people? Mm. It, you know, he cares for other people, then go save other people. Go tell them about the God that loves them. Then you're going to end up telling a Chinese, a white, an Indian, an Arab, uh, an Australian, um, um, a Native American or Native Canadian about Jesus, mm-hmm. about, about God who created the world and loves them. So therefore, if, you were the, if that was happening from 2,000 years ago, Nah, it's not shocking to see where you end up right now. Mm-hmm. Right? So those are the questions I'll simply ask. I'm like, okay, <laughs> and what? Because you can't keep on walking around saying, oh, we're black power and there's a black God. Great. I love it. What else? What do we do? How do you teach us to live? Yeah. You know? That's fair. Does, does race matter? Does it, no, does, not one bit. So not one. Bit. There's a focus on race, on it, and you can't get away from it in society. Everywhere you look, race is the dividing line. It's the thing that keeps us separate, and go from race into culture, and then so on and so mm-hmm. forth. Where race 
that outward expression, that look, that skin color is something that is weighing heavy on people. And so the idea of white supremacy, because everywhere we look, we see white figures in positions of power. So we see presidents white. We see um, billionaires white. We see the bank owners white. So we're looking and seeing all these white faces on the television screen and everything. And then we see, then we see the black faces and they're usually not in the same position of prominence going through our culture, through media and so on and so forth. So when you take the black church, the head central figure for a lot of people is the white Jesus that's put up on that pedestal. And so does the wraith, matter at that point does it still matter and if it doesn't um what are your thoughts on the imagery of the white jesus well, i think there's 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 a, there's a couple of things and and I, and the question that you that you just kind of put in that is not only a very important question but it's a question that needs to be answered in several pieces or several parts right um it's not a it's not like a yes or no answer. Here is what I mean. First and foremost, central. The scripture talks about being born again. I'm sure you've heard of that, right? Yeah. Um, and you're being born again, and you're born not after flesh, but you're born after spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And your identity as a Christian is not an identity of flesh, because the thing that God wants to emphasize when he saves us is that your flesh, though you have it, one is going to die, it is going to decay, and you're in Christ, you're going to be given a new one, right? Mm-hmm. So in other words, we respect the flesh, God created the flesh, but as believers, the flesh becomes something that will pass away. And mm-hmm. to be a believer, the spirit is emphasized. Mm-hmm. Now I put that out there because when we have the conversation about black church or white church or black Christians or white Christians or Indian or Chinese, we're actually doing a very bad thing. Because what we're saying at that point is that our flesh is our major piece of identification within the faith. Mm. Our flesh is now the, the key aspect to our religious convictions with God. And that is absolutely terribly wrong. And because we keep on holding to it, we've diluted and confused people. Because mm-hmm. people are now going to go, am I coming for Christ who redeems me? Or am I coming for my skin tone? Right? And it's confusing the people. Do I still hold to my flesh? Or do I surrender my flesh? Mm-hmm. And what Christ has said from the beginning, flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So if you are declaring that you are a black Christian, well, at some point or another, that blackness has to be put down. No one's going to like to hear that, but that blackness has to be put down. Mm-hmm. You are going to be a born-again believer. And so if we can get that idea there, we can then begin to understand why black and white doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Because it's a thing that has to go. Everything flesh has to go. Mm-hmm. The next question is about the imagery of a white 
Jesus. Yeah. My, 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 I, I get to this point where I ask um, about painting. I'm sure you've been to a museum or two and you've seen paintings and something just looks weird, mm-hmm. right? But the person was trying to express it a certain way and they have to tell you about it, right? So I look at painting as something that is um, an expression of an individual about something, how he sees it. And you don't have to take it. It doesn't mean it's real. It doesn't mean it's correct. All it means is that that's how that person sees it. And the problem also with painting or with art is that oftentimes that image or your art can be um, shaded or colored because somebody now comes with money to give you, right? Mm -hmm. So somebody pays you, I'll pay you $50,000 to sing a song to write a song for me. Mm-hmm. You could be a rock star, but with $50,000, you're going to try to make it R&B. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that is a common thought process and a common thing. Now, the number one painting we use of a white Jesus was done by who we would consider a starving artist. Leonardo, was it Leonardo DiCaprio? Who, who painted it? Who painted this, the famous white Jesus picture? That I'm not sure. Uh, was it Michelangelo? It could be, yeah, Michelangelo. Yeah. Now, the only thing we know about Michelangelo is that he did some beautiful paintings. Mm-hmm. We know he was a white guy, but we know he was being paid to do all of these things. Mm-hmm. Now, if the man paying you says he wants a nice picture, why are you going to give him anything other than a nice picture that he might like? Mm-hmm. So who was paying him? A white guy. So a white guy looks at the picture and says, I like it. Mm-hmm. Why am I mad at that for, right? Yeah. That's his interpretation, and that's going to this guy. And yeah. that's why people often argue, well, Michelangelo was just painting his gay lover. Again, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But all I do know is that he was paid to produce something that was appealing to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that's what you get. And that became, for some reason, not for the black community, but that became the image of Jesus. Yeah. That's how they, that's how they peered it. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. No big deal, right? But it's still a painting. In the scriptural text, you will never find that image in the Bible. Mm-hmm. You will never, ever, ever find the image that Michelangelo painted in the actual Bible. Nowhere close. Mm-hmm. But yet, we're holding to it as Jesus. Why? Two, do you remember one of the Ten Commandments or the commandments? I never thought about this until just as, as we talk about as Jesus as years ago when I started to look into the scripture. Where God goes, never make an image of God that you bow down to. Mm-hmm. And the question would be, why? Right? Why would God say never make an image? Here was an example for you. Have you do you know Indians uh, believe cows are holy? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So they hold to cows as being sacred. They won't kill them, they won't harm them. They can walk in and out and around everywhere which they are. They mm-hmm. think they, they think they're highly blessed what they call, right? Yeah. That very image or that very idea means that here was a bunch of people, one billion people and plus people on the face of the planet, that not only do not eat meat, right? Mm-hmm. Rarely, rarely eat meat, 
but they live in such a way that they give reverence to an animal, mm-hmm. right? And you see them just kind of follow along with it. They're okay with it. Right. Here is now, if you take that same mentality or just look at that mentality, you can understand people that whenever you put an image before them and you say that it's holy, any image causes people to act and operate a certain way around. Mm-hmm. Fake or not fake, real or not real, if you put it there, they're going to operate like that. Mm-hmm. So what but was put before us. Remember, God said, don't do this. We did it. Or North America or Europeans did it. Right? For their reasoning, they yeah. did it. And so what? Now everybody acts and or operates, just like how uh, um, Indians and, uh, and those in India treat cows, we treat the image of a white man. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, we ill-treat everything else. Mm-hmm. That's because God told us, don't do it. He literally says it. If if there's the most printed off statement in the whole entire Bible, from the history of the Bible, has been the Ten Commandments. It's right there at number two. And we ignore it repeatedly. Every time you go into a church, you'll see a picture of a white Jesus. And if you go around the corner, you'll see a picture of the Ten Commandments. It says, don't create an image. So We've then, created an image, and it's caused the problem. So then why do we do it? Why is it there? Because one of the things that I believe, uh, and, and again, I'm just kind of processing and working through it, one of the things that I believe is that the greatest and the biggest problem to Christianity isn't really the devil as much as it's mammon, yeah. the god of money. And hate to tell you, white Jesus sells. That's not before. Did a hell of a job of marketing white Jesus. Yeah. Uh, we have the big picture. You can get the small picture, the big picture, the cast iron picture. It, 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 it sells. And I think there's been documentaries and stuff about that, of the money that is found in Christianity. Mm. Right? In North America, right? Other, other religions have the similar thing. But mammon has crept in. And so you keep pushing it, you keep pushing it, you keep pushing it. We can get a picture of black Jesus, but we got to go to Harlem for that. Mm -hmm. Right? And so that's how I encountered that next image was in Harlem. You know, so that's what I'm saying. Mammon capitalized on it, got us, tricked us, fooled us. We start trying to make a profit off of God, mm-hmm. you know, and it was, and again, it's not us that were the first, you, you read the scriptures in the book of Acts that when, uh, Paul came into a city, uh, there were men that actually made money off of the worship of their God. And when Paul actually ended up preaching the gospel and people turning away from their false handmade God, those guys got pissed brought charges against Paul and had him thrown in prison. Mm-hmm. Simple economics. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's money. It's money. It's money. Yeah. Mm. I, again, I, I think you, you sort of segued perfectly because the, the, the next question would have been, you know, when it comes to the black church, the other big controversy is money. Mm-hmm. And, and money seems to be that thing 
that prosperity preaching is almost targeted towards us, you know? So there's a lot of, you know, if you if you put money into the, the collection plate, you know, you're going to get back tenfold or something like that. But there's this idea and this belief. It's like if you have enough faith while you're dropping the money, all of the money plus more, you know, you can become a millionaire, you can win the lottery. Heck, we've seen infomercials where, you know, you send some money <laughs> and a check could just arrive in the mail. And it seems to be a lot of times targeted towards the black church. And so what are your thoughts on that? The prosperity message, the, the wealth, the richness, the being rich, and it could come out of the church. If you, you pay X, you know, you'll get it back in return. What are your thoughts on that? Again, two-part answer. And it seems like it's a broken record. But the first part is, have you actually read the Bible to be believing that? <laughs> Remember, the guy that we're worshiping, somebody asked him, hey, buddy, where are you sleeping? Yeah. And he basically told them, I have no real estate. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't go to the bank. I didn't take a loan. I, I, I don't have all of these things. Um, he was looking for trees to eat off of when he was hungry. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch of people followed him and he wanted to feed him. He didn't have enough money. That, that that's the guy, the guy who found himself repeatedly around. Um, look how much instances he found himself repeatedly around the poor, the downcast, the downtrodden, who never possessed the amount of money to give good offerings. So much so that he ended up praising one woman who gave a penny or a penny, right? As as the as the greatest giver. Right? Mm. Of, of all. So, all of these things um, point to the fact that this guy that we're serving was not a prosperity preacher, mm-hmm. not even in the slightest. So, the first answer to that is Have you ever read the The next question would come to Why then are people preaching that? And my question would be, I don't know because I think the best question I could give, have you ever read in high school or in college something called the Canterbury Tales? No. You've never heard of the Canterbury Tale. That's just fine. So the Canterbury Tales is a story of, um, uh, of a bunch of characters journeying through wherever they're journeying through and everybody is in a position and they all have a significant role. Mm-hmm. And you have this great leader up at the front. You have the brave man, the wise woman, the old man, yada, yada, yada goes on. And at the end of this train of people, you have um, the priest, right? You have this uh, walking evangelist, as it were, that is at carrying up the rear. And his story is always interesting to me is because his story goes something like, I will, he comes into a town and he says to all the people, get rid of your worldly possessions, throw them all away. They're only going to cast you down into hell and damnation. And they're only going to do all these things. Give them to me, give them to me, give them to me so you can save your souls. Right? Give them to me, give them to me. 
Mm-hmm. And he goes on to say, basically, hey, I take it off your hands. So you can get saved. I'll live with the struggle of having all of these things. And it paints this picture as, again, this minister, as it were, living in his struggle while telling people, come to faith. Mm-hmm. And that's what they constantly do. And I think that is what is happening right now, where people are just saying, give all this money, give all this money, give all this money, still pursuing this idea of wealth while people, while you're trying to tell people, step away from it. Money is evil. Mm-hmm. The love of money is evil. And so it's this universal battle that has been taking place. And again, this wasn't a black minister. This was a white minister. This was a white evangelist in the Canterbury Tales carrying up the way. Mm-hmm. So this has been a problem that has constantly been with people. Mm. Right? And the reasons for that, one of the reasons is the buildings. We build these elaborate buildings, we build these elaborate structures, and they need money. Right? Yeah. They need money, they need money, they need money. People are tired of being broke. I don't know what it is. But that's a challenge. And it's not saying the ministers are wrong or evil. They have their struggles too. Mm -hmm. And some of them that are very good at it have very big issues. Mm -hmm. God's working on them as much as he's working on everybody else. Okay. So I know like we're, you know, kind of hitting that mark in terms of time. And Mm -hmm. I did want to trying to think if there's anything else I really wanted to press you on, but it does seem like hmm? you kind of answered. (laughs) You kind of answered a lot of questions pertaining to this particular subject. Um, Yeah. 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 I would would definitely say that, you know, you definitely help with some clarity on the subject and hopefully it answered some questions that the people in the audience got to hear and hopefully it helps and i pray to god it does (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think the other thing i would probably ask is how does one become a pastor how does one become a pastor yeah is it a calling do you go to school do you need a four-year degree do you do they have job ads on like indeed or linkedin or something like that like how does they actually do pastor So they actually do have job ads. They actually do have schooling. They actually um, do have a lot of these things. What are the What are the qualifications? Do you need like uh, you know three years of pastoral you know experience? No. Like what 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 is the what is the breakdown like? You know, and 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 does it differ slightly from real world? You know, you know, I shouldn't say that, but does it slightly differ? From what the Bible says. Um, so what the Bible teaches is two things. One, the Bible teaches ultimately there is an engagement with God. That you're calling your employment, as it were, uh, into this field has to be and must be a calling. Like if you're not called, you can attempt it. You can do even some good. But. If you're not called, it will be evident. Mm-hmm. Right? So, first and foremost, that's it. 
from the calling, there is a sitting with God, a getting, gaining knowledge and insight and information, right? Learning how to read the word, study, whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. Back in the days with Christ, basically, the disciples sat with Christ for three and a half, for three and a half years, right? Mm-hmm. Experienced it, lived with it. Even when Paul first uh, converted from Judaism uh, over to Christianity, he sat for three years uh, teaching, learning, and doing all of these things. Mm-hmm. So there is this valuable point of once you come into faith, you, you absorb, you absorb the faith in so that you will be capable and competent enough. Now, I won't use the word competent, but you'll be capable enough to be used of God to give out certain things, right? Yeah. As you continue on your journey. So does that look like a two-year diploma? It could. Does it look like a three-year degree? It could. Does it look like a six-year doctorate? It could, right? Mm. Those aren't really the, the major things. Anybody can fall underneath these categories. Um, but um, calling and the process of going into and learning God, mm-hmm. right, is what it is. And from there, you talk about jobs. Yeah, you're correct. <laughs> you can find them on Indeed and LinkedIn. Right? There are churches out there, communities out there, who are in desperate need uh, for ministers. One of the interesting facts I heard was they listed, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, maybe two or three years ago, the oldest profession within Canada. And guess which was number one and two? What? So number two was carpentry, the trade. Mm-hmm. And carpentry, number two, and number one was the ministry. Oh. So there is this very much a need of uh, ministers to be a part and still continue on with the communities of faith. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you can find them on LinkedIn. <laughs> okay. So you, those how you become. But I will almost promise you and guarantee you, if you are not called, you will be found out quickly. Okay. All right. I think that I think that does it for me. Um awesome. thank you again Pastor Marlin for sitting down and having this conversation, this discussion with me. Um yeah, it's much appreciated anytime. for the first episode. Um just before you go, is there any way or do you have any contacts that people if they wanted to could reach out to you um to basically sure. maybe answer some more questions or even ask a little bit more questions or deeper insights into the stuff you were saying today? So if you want sure, just sure, your sure. social media or email address or anything like that. I give my email address. I'm not that good with social media. So anyone that's on this line or listening to you who feels like they want to help out a, a young man who's not versed in social media, who is not able to do social media as good, give me a call. Um, but I'll give you my email address. Um, it's pastor, P-A-S-T-O-R dot Marlon, M-A-R-L-O-N dot T-O-P at rogers.com. Again, pastor.marlin.top at rogers.com. Uh, shoot me off a question. Shoot me off an email. Uh, shoot me if you'd like to volunteer. If you'd like to sit down for a coffee, I'm okay with it. I'm open to it. And uh, we can go from there. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. 
Again, that was Pastor Marlon from Tabernacle of Praise. My name is Deverell Mitchell. If you needed to reach out to me, my email is out, spelled exactly how it sounds, 1111 at gmail.com. That's out, 1111 at gmail.com. I want to thank everybody for tuning into this first episode. See you guys soon. Thank you again, Pastor Marlon. Been a pleasure. My pleasure. See you. Bye.